being formed by our practices into your church, into your people, being transformed into Christ-likeness so that we could be like you in this world, not so people can marvel at what we do or what we've become, but that people can marvel at you and come to know the good, good story of a God who's full of grace and mercy and love and compassion and has planned for his people a future that's full of grace and mercy and love and compassion. God, draw us to you that we can hear your word, that we can be sent out of this place, that we can go and live different lives. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So yeah, we're continuing our series that we began last week, Why We Do What We Do. And we started this series, and we're really going through the five practices, at least five practices of the church, five practices that we do every Sunday as a church. Well, the way I put it last week is there's four that we do, uh, that we do every Sunday, and that's uh, singing, preaching, giving, and we take communion. And then there's one that we want to do every Sunday, and that's baptism. Uh, we would love to see people baptized into Christ every single Sunday that we gather here at Tri-Cities Church. Last week, we started off this series talking about singing. And you remember what we talked about, right? Even though our worship team brings it, brings it every Sunday, uh, that, that singing is not the entertainment portion of our gathering. That's not what it's intended to be. Rather, it's an essential practice of the church that God uses to make us more like Christ. We saw in the scriptures, uh, through the scriptures in Colossians chapter 3, that God has instructed us to come together and sing to sing with each other. In fact, to sing to him, but sing with each other so that we can be heard by one another and that there's an educational experience that happens when we gather as a church and we sing songs songs together, and that is that the Word of God, our theology that we're singing, is driven deeper into our heart, and we come to know God more, and, and we, when we sing together, we are worshiping the one true God who has brought us together, who is uniting us, and in some mysterious way, God uses our singing together to bend our heart towards the Lord, and so we come here, and we might not fully understand why we have to sing or why the church sings, and it may not be your thing to engage in singing. Um, But the scriptures teach us, and all of Christian history teaches us, that when the church gets together and the church sings together, that the church together is being transformed into the likeness of Christ, and somehow our lives become more more powerful as they become like Christ, and we engage in God's mission. And so as a church, yeah, we're going to sing every single Sunday because we believe that God uses our singing to transform us into his likeness. Now this morning, We're talking about uh, preaching as an essential practice of the church. Uh, Now, uh, this week I was just reflecting on uh, um, just kind of my journey as a preacher. I I started preaching. I became a preacher uh, when I was 21 years old. And uh, I, I grew up right here in Atlanta. I think I mentioned that uh, last week at a church that's just right on the other side of Greenbrier. And that church was uh, much different than Tri-Cities Church. Uh, uh, in fact, when I first started preaching, I wore a suit and tie every Sunday. And most Sundays, I wore a long robe uh, that I would, that I, would uh, I, I was on the, the lower end of the totem pole. So I, I rarely got an opportunity to preach. But I would read scripture and sometimes lead in prayer. It was a church. We had a ton of associate ministers, probably. 
eight or nine of us. Uh, and so we, we kind of, uh, kind of uh, 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 shared responsibilities. But my first couple of Sundays, I, I, was, preaching, I was preaching in a robe. And, and it was more of a traditional African-American Baptist church. And if you're familiar with that style of church, a lot of what the church does comes out of a certain history, a certain story of struggle, and, and a certain story of adversity. And, and some, some of the songs that come out of there have, um, have this, this, um, um, this, this kind of soul that I, I have a hard time uh, explaining what it is. These old, what you would call Negro spirituals that kind of formed out of a time of struggle. And they aren't really in a hymnal, but they're kind of call and response songs. And there's a style of preaching uh, that, that comes out of that history that tries to articulate uh, the joy of the Lord in the midst of, of struggle. Uh, sometimes that preaching is called hooping. I don't know if you're familiar with it, where the preacher towards the end of the sermon gets... Um, He's trying to express the joy of the Lord through his style of preaching, and, and there's this kind of breathiness to it and this rhythm to it. It's almost like a mix between a, a singing and a, and a preaching, and that was a style of preaching that, that I grew up with. There was this kind of exuberance that was expressed during the sermon, particularly towards the end of the sermon, where some people might walk away and go, um, unless the preacher hooped on a Sunday, he didn't really preach. He didn't, care, he didn't mind what the content was. But that guy needed to hoop. He needed to have this exuberance, this expression of joy and this peaceful understanding of the Lord. And I can't, I, I can't do it, and I'm not going to try to, because if I try to mimic it, it, it comes off so bad that it comes off as almost mocking it. But there's this kind of joy in this expression that came out of that tradition. Now, when I began preaching, I had a difficult time um, separating my calling from my tradition. Uh, in other words, I... Um, I felt like that was what the tradition I grew up in uh, was what God called me to. And I remember, um, I remember getting ready to preach uh, my first sermon. It was actually January. January, I was looking at the Bible uh, just the other day. January, 20, 20, um, January 25th, 2014, I was getting ready to preach my first sermon. And I was a couple of weeks out. Uh, my wife's correct. It's, it's somewhere around that day, 2004. 2004, not 14, 2004, yeah. Y'all like, y'all, you just started preaching a couple of years ago. No wonder. That was a good correction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. And I, I remember, yeah, 2004, I was getting ready to preach my, my, my first sermon, and, and here I am, this young 21-year-old, and I was, I was very nervous. Uh, and, and so I, I had this manuscript of a sermon that was prepared, and I'm in my room practicing, and, and uh, don't tell anybody, but I'm in the mirror, and I'm hooping, like I'm going to town on this sermon. I am jumping around, and I'm shouting, and I'm preparing myself to preach because that's the way you preach. That's the church I grew up in. Now, just like last week, we talked about singing. There are many different styles of preaching, but I didn't know it because we grew up in kind of a sheltered church environment, at least. We didn't visit churches. We went to this one little Baptist, actually it wasn't too little, but one Baptist church, and that was, that was the sum of my church experience. And I remember over here, they had just built Camp Creek Marketplace maybe a couple of years ago uh, before that, that um, 
my first sermon. And I remember going to this Longhorn right over here on Camp Creek Marketplace. And I don't really even remember how this happened. I think it was one of those moments that God just ordained. God put it into place. And, and we went there, and we were waiting for a table. And when the waitress was leading us to our table, I bumped into this guy that was sitting at this table. And, and I said, excuse me. And, and somehow, through some way, we struck up a conversation. It wasn't a guy that I knew or had ever met before. We struck up a conversation, and he was a preacher. Uh, and somehow we started talking about uh, preaching, and I was telling him I'm getting ready to prepare my first sermon that I'm going to preach, and telling him how nervous. And so this random guy uh, in Longhorn right over there on Camp Creek said something that changed uh, my life and changed the way I thought about preaching. He said, just be yourself. Be the person that God called you to be. Find your own voice in preaching. Don't try to be like someone else. And from that moment, not, to, not, that I was, um, not, not that there was anything wrong with a different style of preaching, but, but in that moment, those words, they spoke to me, and they said, who am I? Who did God call me to be? How did God call me to preach? Not how can I be like, because I had a whole list of people that I was trying to be like, all the way from, uh, oh man, this is a moment of transparency, all the way from Shirley Caesar to Eddie Long, y'all, y'all know, uh, it was a whole gamut, and I'm like, if I could fall somewhere in between those two, I'd be all right. Um, And so I had this whole list of of, of people that I wanted to be like as a preacher. Um, And those words spoke to me. And they said, find your own voice. And the guy said that, that, um, he said, if not, um, you will struggle to communicate the word of God to people and you will not be effective um, because you haven't found your own voice. You know, preaching is an essential practice of the church. It's an essential practice that God uses to make us more like Christ, right? And it's not about a style. It's not about a way of doing things, but it's about communicating the message, the truth of scriptures in a way that people are able to hear it and understand it so that they can apply it. And ultimately, they will become more like Christ. And so we're not here again, just like singing isn't the entertainment portion of our sermon. Preaching isn't the entertainment portion of our sermon. The reason we stand up here isn't to entertain, but ultimately is to transform us into the image of Christ so that we are becoming more like Christ so that when we go out into the world that people are coming in contact, not with individuals who happen to go to church, but people are coming to know Christ. They're coming in contact with Jesus Christ through our lives when we go out out of these doors. And so preaching is an essential practice of the church, just like singing, just like giving, as we're going to see, just like communion, just like baptizing. Preaching is an essential practice of the church that God uses to make us more like Christ. And what we see in the scriptures and what we've seen throughout Christian history is that all true, true preaching is grounded in scripture and it elevates the scriptures. All true preaching elevates the scripture. So if my preaching here and, and all that we do at Tri-Cities Church isn't grounded in scripture, I'm just up here giving an inspirational talk, right? I'm just a motivational speaker teaching behavioral change or habit change. Now, not to say there's anything wrong with motivational speakers, but if you've ever heard a motivational speaker, 
speaker, or if anybody's ever relied on one of those for your career, you're either constantly going to conferences, constantly buying CDs, constantly listening to YouTube videos, because the way motivational speaker speaking works is you're constantly hearing, relying on an inspirational story to encourage you and motivate you to change your habits, change your behavior, and stay the course. That's not what we're doing here on Sunday morning. What we're doing here is grounded in the scriptures about something that God has done through Jesus Christ a long time ago that fundamentally changed our world, that makes us new, right? The Bible uses words like new creation, born again, rebirth, to talk about the newness that we have in Christ Jesus. We are actually being transformed. We're not just changing behaviors. We're not just changing habits. We're not just adopting new routines and and new patterns of living, right? We're not just doing that. Like, we're not forcing ourselves or encouraging ourselves to that, but rather when scripture, when preaching elevates scripture, grounds itself in scripture, then elevates scripture, um, it's elevating the reality of what we are in Christ Jesus, which is new beings. Last week, we talked a little bit about um, this, um, this already not yetness. I think that was last week. I always get my conversations confused, um, whether I talk about that on Sunday morning or whether I'm talking about it with somebody during the week. I think I'm going to assume that it, this was last week that I mentioned it. Um, last week, we talked about this already but not yetness of the Scripture, the fact that we are already in Christ. When God sees us, he doesn't see us um, uh, af- after we believe in Jesus Christ, he doesn't see us for our mistakes. He doesn't see us for our past. He doesn't even see us for the things that we find ourselves caught up in in the present, right? He sees Christ, right? He sees his holiness, his righteousness, his purity. He sees that when he sees us. He doesn't hold our sins against us. Uh, but, but, um, and so when he sees us, he sees righteousness. So there's this sense that we're already righteous. We're already holy. We're already justified in the, in the eyes of God. But at the same time, our lives in reality must be moving towards holiness, moving towards righteousness, and that, that we won't be finished moving there until we get to heaven, right, till the end of times. And so there's a sense that we're already made pure, we're already holy, we're already uh, seen by God like Christ is seen by God, but in the same time we're living into that, um, that reality. And so when, 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 when we preach or when we, when we teach and we, we ground it in the scriptures, really what we're saying is, hey, this is what's already happening, but now this is how we can live into that reality. In fact, when we look at, um, 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 when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we see this, and we looked there briefly last week, and we're going to come back there right now this week. When we look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see the function and the role of Scripture in the life of the believer. So we, the preaching is elevating uh, uh, Scripture for believers. It's saying this is what the Bible is saying, and then in, in Timothy what we're seeing is the, the function. So like as I preach and as I ground, try to ground my preaching in Scripture and elevate Scripture in my preaching. This is the role that Scripture, the Bible, should have in our lives as believers. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 10, and we're really going to focus in down at the end of this, this section. But let, let's pick up in verse 10. This is Paul. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a disciple. Uh, he's a student uh, of the ministry. And so Paul's writing to him. Paul's a minister that has now been seasoned for a while and has these disciples, guys that he's mentoring, who are coming along after him because he realized that, realizes that he will not always be there. And, and he sees from the teachings of Jesus that this is the plan of God, right? That when we come to know Jesus Christ, that we got someone that we're training 
uh, to be like Christ, to, to come behind us so that when we're dead and gone, the legacy we're leaving is Christ, right? The legacy we're leaving is people that walk in the way of Christ. And so listen to what, what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, you, however, know all about my, my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. You remember he was stoned. Remember that story we read? Um, that was four weeks ago, maybe, um, that, that Paul was stoned. He said, the persecutions I've endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So uh, he's basically saying, don't sign up for this if you don't want to go through hard times, right? Don't sign up for this if you don't want to have obstacles. Don't sign up for this if you've been somehow uh, bamboozled into thinking that this is the easy way, that following Christ is the easy way. Uh, He says, it is the way of Christ which is the way of the cross, which ain't easy. So uh, he says, uh, in fact, everyone who wants to live a good life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, he says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, how From infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, he says, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You hear it there in that passage, right? The function of scripture in the life of the believer. So as I'm I'm preaching and as I'm grounding my preaching in scripture, as I'm elevating it, this is the the role that scripture has in our lives as a church, right? It doesn't say, and this is is where the church um, um, sometimes, uh, sometimes misses it. It doesn't say that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, period, right? Sometimes we elevate doctrine to the ultimate, that the role of scripture is so that we can know God, and that's it, right? So that we can know what baptism means, so that we can recite the tr- what the Trinity is, so that we can know these theological points or these doctrines that the church has debated for, for years. The Bible's not saying the role of preaching is so that you can know teaching, uh, doctrine. It's not saying the role of preaching is so that you can know where you've gone wrong, rebuking, right? It's not, that's kind of what this word rebuking is about. It's about saying that, that, so we can identify what we've done wrong and that we can somehow change, try to change our behavior and do differently, right? The Bible says this, the role of preaching uh, or scripture isn't about correcting, right, period. It's not doing that either. It's not saying um, the, the role of scripture is about training, period. But it's saying that the role of scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that, the so that's the important part, so that uh, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the role of scripture, the role of preaching is about equipping the church for good work that God 
equipped us, that God is preparing us, that God has planned for our lives. And so when we stand here and when I stand here and I preach, the end isn't knowledge, right? The end isn't so that you know where you went wrong. The end isn't so that you can somehow get right where you've gone wrong. The end isn't so that you can um, be just maturing in your faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The end is so that you might be fully equipped for God's work, God's good work that is happening out here in the world. In fact, when we look at the scriptures, and this is kind of an oversimplification of scripture, but when we look at scripture, uh, one of the things we begin to see through the Old Testament on to the New is that the trajectory of scripture is bent toward the missional movement of the church, right? The trajectory of scripture, the direction of scripture is bent to the missional movement. The church is being sent out in this world on mission for God, making a difference in this world, that that's the whole direction that Scripture is flowing. When we look in the Old Testament, and some of the stories in the Old Testament are complicated and difficult for us to understand, but when we see the Old Testament, what we see is that God in the Old Testament is molding a people for his own purposes. God chooses a people in Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we see God calls Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you, but he also says the whole world is going to be blessed through you. The whole earth is going to be blessed through you. Now, when we read the Old Testament, the thing you see um, is, is not that. Um, you, you don't see the world being blessed through uh, ultimately, the people God formed being Israel. We see Israel being blessed, right? There's blessings upon blessings piled upon Israel. Even when they go bad, God rescues them. Even when they turn their backs on God, God relentlessly pursues them. God provides for them. God is faithful to them. God puts himself in a covenant relationship with Israel. Old Testament's all about God uh, and Israel, not God blessing the world. So we see this Genesis chapter 12, and it's like God says, I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham. And if you're just reading the Old Testament, you're like, wait, wait, what? God, God hadn't done that. God has blessed Israel. He's blessed his people because in the Old Testament, God is molding a people. He is forming a people for a particular purpose. When we get into the New Testament, we see the Gospels. And in the Gospels, God is modeling for us. He's modeling what it looks like for us to live. And so in the Old Testament, God molds. In the New Testament, God models. He sends Jesus in human form. In The Bible calls it flesh. And he's walking, living, breathing. He's thinking. He's acting. He's interacting. He's living in relationships with people. And so in the New Testament, he's modeling what it looks like for us to be human who have been saved by God and are now living our lives for God. And so the Old Testament, he molds a people through which um, Jesus comes, God in the flesh, and he models for us what our lives are to look like. And that's why we talk about being Christ-like, because we've recognized that Jesus has um, has modeled for us God's will for our lives. And so we strive to be Christ-like. Then in the rest of the New Testament, we see the church trying to, um, to multiply, if you will, to, to multiply th- this model. And so in the Old Testament, God molds. In the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, he models. But, but then in the rest of the New Testament, these epistles, these letters that are written in the Bible, most of the Bible, they're letters that were written to the church, at least most of the New Testament. They're letters that were written to the church that was multiplying the model that was set 
set by Jesus Christ. And so we see this happening, and as this plays out, we see the church grappling with what it looks like for them to multiply this model that was set by Jesus Christ, and all the preaching and teaching and the things that the church does in its gathering is ultimately to equip them so that they can model what they've seen in Jesus Christ. And that's our role. Our role is to take the model of Christ and to multiply it in this world so that when people see us and when people encounter us, they're encountering Christ. There's a scripture in um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, verse. I'm going to pick up in verse 17. Listen to what it says, and this really brings this home uh, uh, for us. And this is the early church. This is the church in Corinth, and this was a letter that was written to them. And, uh, and Paul had, had written this letter to a church that was trying to figure out what it looked like to, to uh, replicate um, the, the model that Christ set. And listen to what he says to, to the church. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, right? So if anyone is in Christ, if anyone's life is hidden in Christ, covered by Christ, so that when God sees us, he sees righteousness, he sees us as his own, he sees us as pursuing his will. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us, made right our relationship with him, right? He reconciled us to himself through Christ, not because of anything that we've done not because we wooed God, not because we bought him roses and chocolate and uh, sent him sweet letters, and not, not because we've somehow wooed God or somehow uh, pursued him, but because he's pursued us through Christ. So the old is gone, the new here is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ by sending Christ in pursuit of us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he sent Christ with the ministry of reconciliation. Then he hands it over to us. So the same ministry that Christ had, he hands over to us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling, writing his relationship with the world to the writing, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are Christ ambassadors. We are sent out in this world as representatives of Jesus Christ. That is, people are going to know him by the way they know us. And that's what the early church came to understand that God was doing through the church, is that God was equipping a people to move missionally into this world, out in this world, on mission for God, doing the good things that God prepared long in advance for them to do. And all that their gathering was about was about them being equipped, them becoming a community that was together being equipped for that good work because they understood just how um, they understood just how significant and weighty that responsibility was. They knew just how hard it could be to represent Christ in this world. They knew all the temptations. They knew that there would be temptations. They didn't know all the temptations. They knew that there were temptations and that it would be uh, difficult for them to be transformed into the likeness of Christ because this is what people did. 
They looked at Christ and marveled at his life. They looked at Christ and they were amazed at his life, his compassion, his grace, his love even for his enemies, his patience, his kindness, his perseverance, his focus on God's mission. They looked at Christ and they marveled. And then when Paul writes to the church that you are Christ's ambassadors, that the world is going to know Christ because they know you, they felt the weight of that. And I feel like we as a church need to feel the weight of that. Because when we begin to feel the weight of that, then we begin to say, well, well, I got to engage in worship because that's a tool that God is using to make me more like Christ. I got to be at church where I can hear the sermon and engage with the message because that's a tool that God has given to make me more like Christ. And we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, I got to give. I got to take communion and take it seriously. I got to um, uh, see see more people baptized into Christ. And even for myself, if I haven't been baptized, I need to be baptized into Christ because that's a tool that God has given me so that I can live into this weighty responsibility of being Christ representatives in this world. It elevates the significance of our practices and it, it makes them something other just than a mundane, routine, gathering that the church does on a cycle of repeat. <laughs> That's not what we're doing. It's not just a cycle of repeat. It is a process of shaping that lasts throughout the whole course of our lives where we never arrive at a point where we got it where I've sung these songs before. I've heard that scripture preached before. I can, I can pass on that and still be in Christ. The New, New Testament understood, the New Testament church understood that the weightiness and the significance of what God was doing through the church went and allowed them to pass on it. You see, what we see in the scripture is the goal of preaching is equipping the church to faithfully multiply the model of Jesus Christ. That we are being equipped to faithfully multiply the model of Jesus Christ in this world. In fact, if you flip with me to one other passage, Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what, what, um, what, what Paul writes to the church, church in Ephesus. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse, verse 11. Listen to what it says. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Let me pause right there for a moment. This is um, what, what some churches might call the clergy, their staff, their pastoral team, uh, whatever word you want to use for it. But Christ himself gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so your pastors here at Tri-Cities Church, your staff here at Tri-Cities Church, we are here to equip you for the work that God has created you to do. We aren't here to be your representatives going out into the world to do ministry on behalf of the church. That's not what God called us to do. That's not the order that he set in place for the church. Rather, he set in place there to be a pastoral team, a team of pastors within the church church that are equipping the saints. They're equipping, does it say the saints here? I think the old version says the saints. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stepping back into my old King James roots. Um, but are equipping uh, his people for works of service. We are equipping the saints. I'll call y'all saints because the Bible calls you saints because you are covered with Christ. You are in Christ. When God sees you, he doesn't see all the wrong you've done, but he sees you as his saint. We are equipping the saints for works of service, to go out in this world and do God's good work in this world. You see, preaching is an essential practice of the church um, because without it, we are unable to do the good work that God created us for, and ultimately we're living um, we're living purposeless lives, um, lives that have no why, and meaning, real meaning, authentic, real meaning in this world when they aren't being equipped for God's mission, which is making real difference in this world. We can be good people. We can do some good stuff. We can leave large savings accounts. We can have people praise us. We can have people say he, you know, made this neighborhood better. But as we know, neighborhoods change. Money runs out. Houses deteriorate. But there's a difference that we can make in this world that is lasting and never deteriorates, never runs out, never ends. And that's what God is calling us to. And that's what the church is here to do is to equip you through its practices so that you can become like Christ, so that you can go and do good work that is going to have a lasting difference in this world. You know, there's... Um, When we look in the scripture, we see there are different roles for preaching in the church. And I actually had three things I wanted you to see, but I'm going to flip straight to the last one. Um, because I think this is so significant and so missed in the church that has, um, has been organized into an institution um, a church um, that has staff and has people that went to school <laughs> to do ministry. Um, in our modern-day society where the church is no longer just meeting in someone's home, um, where it's a group of people that are bringing um, their experiences with Christ together um, and reading letters that were sent 
by people like Paul to the church, and they're trying to figure out Paul in the Bible. I always have to say that because we have Paul that leads worship. Don't want anybody to get confused. Paul's not sending letters to the church yet. Yet. <laughs> um, but, but Paul's sending letters to the church, and there's his church with, with um, either little to no staff or, or, or group of pastors in the church. And they're meeting in people's homes, and they're trying to figure out what it looks like for them to live out their faith. And now this church that's thousands of years down the road has formed itself into a people that somehow feel like we're living faithfully Sometimes we feel like we're living faithfully simply by gathering in this place and singing songs and yielding ourselves in this space to God. Um, And it's so easy for us to miss that God isn't calling us to simply yield ourselves in this space to God, but to yield ourselves in all the spaces that we find ourselves in to God. You know, scriptures are calling us as the church to live our lives with our eyes wide open, looking for God's activity in this world, looking for ways that we can represent Christ in this world. The scriptures are wanting to open up our holy imagination to what God could be doing out there in your neighborhood, at your workplace, wherever you find, in your friend circles, right? Wherever you find yourselves, opening up your imagination to what God God could be doing there to be constantly living with this question, God, what are you doing here in this time, in this space that I find myself in? And we find ourselves then when we begin asking that question, acting and living in ways that aren't necessarily, there's not a scripture chapter verse that says that when your neighbor has lost someone they love, take them a cherry pie, right? There's not a scripture that's going to say that. There's not a scripture that's going to tell us that when someone uh, uh, that you might not even know is, is hurting. There's not a scripture that's going to tell you that what you're responsible for doing is stopping and uh, maybe even um, maybe even calling the person that you were set to meet for coffee uh, uh, and telling them that you're not going to be able to make it because you've encountered something that's much more significant and something that God is calling you to. The scriptures are not going to tell you that the ministry that you need to be engaged in is this new ministry in Atlanta that's ministering to homeless people. The scriptures aren't going to say, go join that, go do that. But when the church together is listening to God's word and being equipped for his mission, God does begin to speak through his word to the church, sending the church out so it can engage in his mission and find new, creative, innovative ways of representing Christ in this world. See, what the church must do it's not simply it's not simply replicate how the how the early church multiplied the mission of Christ into their context the model of Christ into their context but the church must be asking itself what does it look like for me to be Christ here in East Point in Atlanta, in College Park, in Hapeville. Like, what does it look like for me to be Christ here? What kind of work does that look like for me to engage in? And as we answer that question, um, try to answer that question, 
The church is a community that we answer that question alongside. And so you, you go back to your, your city group that you're in at Tri-Cities Church, um, because we're all in city groups, and you say, hey, I feel like God is calling me to do this. Will you pray with me? Will you encourage me? Will you walk alongside me? Or you go back to your pastors here at Tri-Cities Church, and you say, listen, I didn't, I didn't think God was going to call me to be a preacher. That's one of y'all out there. But God is, like, I, God is tugging at me, and, and, and I need to walk into that ministry because he won't let me go. Or I, I didn't feel like God was going to call me to start this ministry that's going minister, to minister to people in my, in my neighborhood. But, but for some reason, I, like, I mean, this wasn't the direction of my life, but, but for some reason I, just, I, I got this idea that I feel like it came from God and I'm reading the scriptures and it seems like something that God would do. And I need you to walk with me in this. I, that's what the church does. The church, uh, the gathering equips us for God's mission. And together as a community, we are walking into that, be, letting um, God lay upon us the heavy responsibility of being like Christ in this world. And I want us as a church to feel the weight of that. Um, and then to know the joy um, that comes when we're able to, to live into that together. Because that's a joy like none other. When we see new things come into being, when we see lives transformed, people being healed, because together we're able to live into God's work in this world. You know, every Sunday morning we gather in this space and we share in a time of communion. Um, and I'm reminded uh, um, by communion that although Jesus hung on the cross by himself, he didn't make it to the cross alone. He prayed to God moments before going to the cross. He ate with his brothers, other followers of Christ, moments before going to the cross. He pulled three of them inside and said, hey, will you pray with me moments before going to the cross? You see, Jesus models for us the fact that what God is calling us to do can only be done in community with one another, a community, the church, that is being equipped for God's mission, for God's good work, a community that is together engaging in that good work, and a community that is together experiencing the joy of knowing that God has done great things through us. As we make our way to these tables this morning, I want to challenge you to yield yourself to the Lord and commit yourself to this community and what God might want to do in you, through you, as you are being equipped for his good work. And hey, if you don't know the story of Jesus Christ and you've never accepted him, 
Uh, if you want to know more about Jesus and what it looks like to walk with him, and maybe you're hearing this story for the first time, you're going, hey, I, I want to walk with, I want to walk with, at least I want to know more about that. Um, I'm going to be back at the Next Steps table. I, I would love to begin a conversation with you today about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, what it means to live for him, what it means to be equipped for his good work in this world. Because the one thing we can all be certain of is that God has chosen you. He's chosen you. And we have the option because he's not going to tackle us and hold us down. But he's calling us to surrender as we hear his word. So let's pray, and then whenever you feel comfortable, make your way to one of these four tables and share in communion. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place to read your scriptures, to learn about your plan for your church, and to be sent out on mission. God, I just pray that you continue to make us and mold us into your people as we submit to you. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.